The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. John Mann. Question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the following servicemen who have lost their lives in Afghanistan. Private Lewis Hendry from 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, and Private Conrad Lewis from 4th Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, who died last Wednesday, and Lance Corporal Kyle Marshall from 2nd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, who died on Monday. They were all brave and dedicated soldiers who were serving in Afghanistan for the safety and security of the British people. Our thoughts and deepest condolences should be with their families, their loved ones and their colleagues. They will never be forgotten. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. John Mann. As with other members, I I associate myself and my constituents with the Prime Minister's tribute to our fallen heroes. One man who also served his country is my constituent, Doug Hunt, who, with his wife Gladys, lives in Westwood Care Home, which has currently been fattened for privatisation by increasing its fees by £400. That's not £400 a year, and it's not £400 a month. That's an increase of £400 a week. Would the Prime Minister like to answer Mr and Mrs Hunt, who are listening now, and show some leadership and have these Tory cuts removed? Or would he like to justify these increases to Mr and Mrs Hunt? Got it. Prime Minister... Well, I will certainly look at the individual case that the Honourable Gentleman raises, but what I would say is this. Far from cutting the money that is going into social care, we've actually increased by £2 billion the money going into adult social care because we know how important it is. I don't think it's right to try and call some false distinction between care homes that are run by local authorities and those that are run by the private sector. There is good practice and bad practice in both. But as we have seen in our hospitals in recent days, we need to have a change of culture in caring for our elderly to make sure they have the dignity that they deserve in old age. Mr Mark Lancaster. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My uh, six-year-old constituent, Millie de Cruz, is one of just 17 people in the United Kingdom to be diagnosed with the rare genetic disorder, MLD. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, the family are having to try and raise £200,000 to send her for treatment in Holland, even though the treatment may be available here in the UK. Can the Prime Minister simply look into the case and ensure that the family get the support that they deserve? Prime Minister. Well, I'm very happy to do as my honourable friend asks. I think there is a big change taking place in medicine where far more interest needs to be put into genetic data and genetically inherited diseases, as this is how we're actually going to reduce uh, disease and, uh, and illness in the future. We are looking, for instance, at the whole issue of value-based pricing, where we try and share between those companies developing these new treatments and the taxpayer the cost of developing them, which I think could be a very good way forward of making sure we get more treatments to more people more quickly. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I want to join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private Lewis Hendry from 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, Private Conrad Lewis from 4th Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, and Lance Corporal Kyle Marshall from 2nd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment. All of these men showed extraordinary bravery and dedication. Our thoughts are with them and their family and friends as they grieve for them. Mr Speaker, we now know that inflation is rising, growth has stalled, and 66,000 young people extra are out of work. Can the Prime Minister tell us whether he thinks his strategy is working? 
Well, of course, today's unemployment figures are a matter of great regret, and it's a great regret particularly in terms of higher youth unemployment. But I have to say to him, youth unemployment has been a problem in this country for well over a decade, in good years and in bad. The level of... The level of youth unemployment actually went up by 40% under the last government, an extra 270,000 young people unemployed. And what we have to do is sort out all of the things that help young people get back into work. That is a welfare system that doesn't help you get work, it is an education system that doesn't prepare you for work, and it's a back-to-work programmes that under the last government simply didn't work. Now he asked me, in terms of what is happening in our economy, well we are no longer linked with Greece and Ireland and those countries in the danger zone. We have a situation where market interest rates have fallen. Our credit rating is secured. There are 218,000 more people in work than there were a year ago. But above all, what I'd say to him is what the Governor of the Bank of England said this morning, and it was this. There has to be a plan A. This country needs fiscal consolidation to deal with the biggest budget deficit in peacetime. Mr Speaker, he says we're doing so well compared to the rest of Europe, but we were the only major European economy in the last quarter of 2010 where there wasn't economic growth and growth went into reverse. Now let me ask him specifically about youth unemployment. His own former chief economist said this morning that he thought they were wrong to scrap the educational maintenance allowance, that they were wrong to scrap the Future Jobs Fund and should have been building on it. And I know he likes to make an industry out of saying the Future Jobs Fund was the wrong thing to do, but what did he say before the election? He went to Liverpool and said it was a good scheme. He'd been inspired by what he saw. Why doesn't he listen to young people and their families up and down the country and take real action to help them? Well, first of all, the economist from the Cabinet Office that the Leader of the Opposition has just quoted also said this, and I quote, I would not excuse the previous government on this. They failed to wake up to the problem early enough. The the right honourable gentleman talks about what matters here is whether work programmes are effective. Well, I now have the figures for the Flexible New Deal, which was the absolute centrepiece of the last government's approach to this matter. Let me give the House of Commons the figures, because I think this does show what has been going wrong. 279,000 people took part in the Flexible New Deal. Of those, how many got a long-term job? 3,800. It's not good enough. What we've been doing on welfare, on education, on back-to-work programmes is not good enough. All those things need to change. Mr Speaker, what we actually discover today is that his great new work programme that he is trumpeting as the answer to all the nation's problems will have 250,000 fewer opportunities than were provided under the last, under the last Labour government. Now look, we know that his view of social mobility is auctioning off a few city internships at the Conservative Party ball, but frankly he's going to have to do better than that. The truth is, he is betraying a whole generation of young people. He's trebling tuition fees, he's abolishing the educational maintenance allowance, and he's abolishing the Future Jobs Fund. Why doesn't he change course and help those young people who need help up and down this country? Well, first of all, let me answer him on the work programme, because this is important. For the last 20 years, in this House and elsewhere, people have been arguing, why don't we use the savings from future benefits and invest those now into helping people to get a job? And for 20 years, the Treasury has said no. 
including the time when those two gentlemen were sitting in the Treasury advising. Now, for the first time under this coalition government, we're going to be spending the future benefits in order to get people training and work now. That is going to include, in some cases, spending up to 14,000 people to get people, particularly on incapacity benefit, a job. And the figures he gives are wrong. The work programme is the biggest back-to-work scheme this country has seen since the 1930s. And instead of being cash-limited and patchy like his schemes, it, it, it has no limit. It can help as many people as possible from all of those different categories. The Honourable Gentleman mentions internships. Well, I did a little bit of research into his own. He did one, one for Tony Benn. And, and one for the deputy leader of the Labour Party. No wonder he's so left-wing, so politically correct and so completely ineffective. I want and the House wants to hear Mr Nicholas Soames. Mr Speaker, would my, would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that deregulation is an extremely powerful weapon in economic reform. Is he also aware that this programme is not proceeding fast enough and will he take personal charge of seeing this whole process is hurried up? I completely agree with my right honourable friend. One of the problems is the huge amount of regulations, particularly coming out of Europe, that we need to put a stop to before they are introduced. Now, my right honourable friend, the business secretary, is doing an excellent job with his one-in-one-out scheme. So you cannot introduce another regulation until you have scrapped one. But I think we probably have to go further and faster and be more ambitious in terms of scrapping the regulation that is holding back job creation in our country. Mr Nick Rainsford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I invite the Prime Minister to look ahead to the summer of 2012 when we will be welcoming millions of overseas visitors to this country? What does the Prime Minister think will be the abiding images they take home with them? Will it be images of a brilliantly successfully staged Olympic Games? Will it be a fond memory of the warm welcome to London extended by the newly elected Mayor Livingston? Or, or will it be the memory of the shocking images of homeless people all over the streets of London because of his government's economic failure and harsh housing benefit cuts? Well, I, I noticed that the Honourable Member for Greenwich couldn't keep a straight face when backing <laughs> Labour's candidate for mayor. But I have to say, if the Honourable Member for Greenwich can't speak up for the Olympics, then there really is a problem. This is going to be a great festival and something everyone who comes to our country is going to enjoy. And I look forward to welcoming them alongside with Mayor Boris Johnson. Julian Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This weekend, hundreds of people will arrive in Ripon to celebrate winning the government's uh, pilot for superfast broadband in North Yorkshire and to work out how we'll get the rest of the county connected in the years ahead. What message would he give to delegates about the government's commitment to rural broadband? Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right. We have made a big commitment to this, £530 million going into this broadband investment. And it is absolutely vital, particularly for rural parts of the country, because we do not want them to be cut off from the information superhighway. So I hope my honourable friend will be advising them about the opportunities of superfast broadband, the business creation and job creation it can mean for right across this country. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us whether he is happy with his flagship policy on forestry? The short answer to that is is no. (laughs) I think 
We are, it is, as I've said before in this house, it is a consultation that was put forward. We've had, um, we've had a, a range of interesting responses to this consultation. But I think what is important is that we should be making sure that whatever happens, we increase access to our forests, we increase biodiversity, and we don't make the mistake and we don't make the mistake that was made under the last government where they sold forests with no access rights at all. I mean, even, even he must appreciate the irony. The guy who made the tree, the symbol of the Conservative Party, <laughs> flogging them off up and down this country. Now, he says, they're, uh, consulting. he says they're consulting on this policy. They're actually consulting on how to flog off the forests, not whether to flog off the forests. Is the Prime Minister now saying that he might drop the policy completely? I would have thought the whole point about a consultation is that you put forward some proposals, you listen to the answer, and then you make a decision. I know um, it's a totally alien concept, but what's so complicated about that? Mr Speaker, everybody knows he's going to have to drop this ludicrous policy. Now, let me give him the chance to do this. Nobody voted for this policy. 500,000 people have voted. 500,000 people have signed a petition against the policy. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he, when he gets up at the dispatch box, not say he's postponing the sale, but say he's cancelling it? I think once again he wrote the questions before he listened to the answers, and I think the bandwagon has just hit a bit of a tree. <laughs> Mr. Bernard Jenkins. May I take this opportunity to inform my right honourable friend and indeed the House that the Public Administration Select Committee is today launching an inquiry into the Big Society. Does does he share my hope uh, that as we consider things like volunteering, promoting charitable giving, decentralising public services, that we will receive positive evidence from all sides of the House. I I do, and I'm I'm sure, like everything my right honourable friend does, it will be wholly supportive of the government's position. Um, But my honourable friend makes a very good point, which is the big society is about more than just volunteering or support for charitable groups. It's about opening up public services. It's about devolving power to to the lowest level. And it's about giving people the opportunity to play a greater part in their lives and the lives of their communities. And I would have thought people from across the House should recognise that the big state approach has failed and it's time for something different. Mr Ben Bradshaw. Is his upheaval of the health service resulting in longer or shorter waiting times? But we want to see waiting times come down. That is the whole point. That is the whole point of the reforms. And I think anyone who has watched what has been happening over the last few days, where we see the standards of care that some elderly people... Well, I think the country is also interested in the standards of care old people are getting in our hospitals. And this idea that everything is right and rosy in the health service after the government opposite has just been shown to be completely untrue. So do we need to change the system and make it more related to what GPs and patients want? Yes, we absolutely do. Mr Andrew Bridgen. Speaker, will the Prime Minister join with me in praising the work of the Conservative administration in my constituency of North West Leicestershire? 
who've saved a million pounds a year by cutting senior management and bureaucracy, protected frontline services, measures unfortunately opposed by the local Labour group on the council. My honourable friend makes an important point, which is we have made available all of this information. Now local councils have to set out their expenditure on every item over £500. So now people can see how much money is being spent on salaries, how much money is being spent on bureaucracy, and how much could be put into voluntary sector and other organisations. We have given local people the tools to hold their local politicians to account, and I think it's a thoroughly progressive step. Mr Brian Donoghue. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. Can I, first of all, put on record my thanks to the Prime Minister for meeting a small delegation from my constituency on the whole question of unemployment in the Ayrshire area? But does he really think that to be part of the big society that he talks about is to throw youngsters, because of the cuts in housing benefit, onto the streets of the UK? But what, what we are doing in terms of housing benefit is actually what was set out in the manifesto that he stood on, which is to say we shouldn't be subsidising housing benefit for people to live in houses that those taxpayers themselves cannot afford. That is the principle behind the welfare bill, which will be coming before this House shortly, and I look forward to getting wide-ranging support. Mr Duncan Hames. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has drawn comparisons between care homes and hospitals when discussing changes to disability allowance currently out for consultation till Friday. Yet for those who by reason of disability spend not just their latter years but their whole lives in care homes, this comparison simply isn't valid. Will he ask his ministers to look again at this? My old friend makes a good point and this is exactly what we have been looking at. The whole intention of the change that was announced uh, in the budget and the spending review was to make sure that there wasn't an overlap in the way that we were judging people in care homes and the people in hospitals. And I think when he sees what is being proposed in the welfare bill, I think he'll see that it meets his concerns. Michael Connerty. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Sadly, since I first asked the Prime Minister about human trafficking in September, he has collapsed every government initiative on the issue, including the excellent Poppy Project which rescues women from prostitution. When I meet my colleagues from the Portuguese Parliament tomorrow who are signing up to the Human Trafficking Directive, where will I tell them our Prime Minister lost his moral compass on this issue of human trafficking? Well, I think what the Honourable Gentleman says is completely wrong. This, this government is supporting those organisations that are helping in terms of human trafficking, and we are, we are committed to making sure we have the very best and toughest laws on human trafficking. I know that he works on this issue. I know my right honourable friend works on it, and I know that others in, in the previous parliaments have done so as well. The point about the Human Trafficking Directive is that it's not necessary for us to opt into that, to give ourselves the strongest laws here in the UK. It's that that we should be doing, and that that I'm committed to making sure we do. McCartney. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Labour-led Kirklees Council are still obsessed with top-down housing targets, leaving my constituents worried that the beautiful green fields of the Colne and Home Valleys will be bulldozed away and quite a few trees could be chopped down too. Will the Prime Minister confirm that the localism bill will give my constituents a real say in what developments go on in their area? I can give him that assurance, but I'd also make this point as well. 
under the top-down targets of the party opposite, house building actually fell to its lowest level in this country since 1923. So the top-down big state solutions didn't work. Whereas what we are doing, by having the new homes bonus, rewarding local authorities who do, do build, build houses, means that there's a real benefit for local communities if they opt to have more homes and have more businesses, because that is part of the economic development we badly need. Tony Lloyd. Mr. Mr. Speaker, the overwhelming majority of my constituents believe that the government, local government cuts, the cuts in local government spending, are not simply too fast and too deep, but are cruel and politically motivated. Can, can, he, can he tell the House? Can he tell the House why my constituents are wrong? I can say to him very directly that I think the cuts being made by Manchester City Council are politically driven and are too deep. Manchester City Council is having its grant cut by 15%. That is less than my council, for instance, being cut by 23%. But a 15% cut in their grant, and yet they are cutting services by 25%. But I notice they've, all, they've still got £100 million in the bank as balances, and they have a chief executive paid over £200,000 a year. I think people in Manchester will look at their council and say, cut out the waste, cut out the bureaucracy, start to cut the chief executive's salary, and only after then should you be looking at services. Mr Philip Davis. After after votes for prisoners, we now have human rights legislation being potentially used to give sex offenders the opportunity to come off the sex offenders register. Is the Prime Minister aware that my constituents are sick to the back teeth of human rights of criminals and prisoners being put before the rights of law-abiding citizens in this country? And isn't it time we scrapped the Human Rights Act and, if necessary, withdrew from the European Convention of Human Rights altogether? I have to say that my honourable friend speaks for many people when he says how completely offensive it is to have once again a ruling by a court that seems to fly completely in the face of common sense. Requiring serious sexual offenders to sign the register for life, as they do now, I would say has broad support right across this House and right right across the country. So I'm appalled by the Supreme Court court ruling. We will take the minimum possible approach to this ruling and we will use the opportunity to close down some loopholes in the sex offenders register. For instance, we're going to make it compulsory that they have to report to the authorities before any travel, and also that sex offenders cannot change their name by deed poll to avoid having their name on the register. I can also tell my honourable friend that the commission we are establishing to look at a British Bill of Rights will be established imminently, because I think it's about time we started making sure decisions are made in this Parliament rather than in the courts. and smoking kills, what action will the Prime Minister take in response to the heartfelt pleas from my constituent Rachel Jones, who wants to see much harder-hitting labels on alcoholic drinks following the tragic death of her boyfriend, Stuart Cable, the former stereophonics drummer? Well, I think what we should be looking at is what action we can take through the tax system, and we are looking at this in terms of dealing with the problem drinks and also with some tougher minimum pricing for alcohol. I think that is actually where we should be putting our attention rather than necessarily looking at labelling. I think that the problem we have, particularly with young people, particularly with people preloading before they go out uh, for a night out, a lot of that is related to deeply discounted drinks in supermarkets and elsewhere, and it's that that we should be dealing with first. 
Jonathan Evans. Mr Speaker, thousands of younger women drivers in the UK are facing the prospect of massive hikes in their motor insurance premiums. And that's as a result of a perverse reinterpretation of the EU Gender Equality Directive carried forward by those on the benches opposite. What is it, what is it that my right honourable friend is able to say in terms of encouraging better risk assessment to, a, to avoid such unintended consequences? Well, well, the honourable gentleman makes an important point, which is because of the way this has been handled, uh, many people who face lower insurance premiums because of their risk profile are going to have to pay more. And I'm afraid it falls to me to speak an eternal truth to the House of Commons, which is that uh, women, on the whole, have better safety driving records than men. Um, and, uh, but as a result of this judgment, they won't benefit from lower insurance payments. What it says to me is we've got to do much better to risk assess and then stop so much of the damaging regulation that is coming out of Brussels. Hazel Blairs. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The uh, importance of internships in helping young people get on in life has been much in the news lately. Would the Prime Minister therefore take this opportunity to express his support for the new Speaker's parliamentary placements? It's a cross-party initiative backed by the Honourable Members from Lancaster and Fleetwood and Eastern Bartonshire, and it will give people from working-class backgrounds the chance to come to Parliament, get vital experience of political life, be paid a living wage, and who knows, they may well be the politicians of the future. I I fully support what the Honourable Lady says, and this is a very important scheme. In opposition, in the Shadow Cabinet, we worked with the Social Mobility Foundation in order to give internships like that as Shadow Cabinet members, and we're going to be doing it again as Cabinet members. I think it's a very important initiative, and I very much welcome what the Speaker is doing. Charlie Elphick. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, What investigation has the Prime Minister made of the allegation that the IMF was bullied into turning down its assessment of the dangers facing the UK economy? Well, uh, my honourable friend makes an incredibly important point, which is the IMF was reporting on the state of the British economy and was arguing that we did have a structural deficit and it was a problem. But there was an attempt to gag them by the party opposite when they were in power because they did not want to own up to the mess that they got this country into. And even now they are still denying the fact that they left us with a dangerous fiscal deficit which is the cause of many of the problems we face today. Jim Shannon. The Prime Minister will be very aware of the concerns that people have in relation to the Coast Guard. This week a, a cross-party deputation from Northern Ireland consisting of four MPs, honourable members in this House, met Coast Guard officials. Is the Prime Minister aware of the figures from, uh, from uh, Bangor Coast Guard Station that over this last year 654 responses were made by that station? And would he consider that one station could satisfactorily handle almost ten times the numbers of calls should the Bangor Coast Guard Station be closed? Or, or the service reduced from 19 Coast Guard stations UK-wide to, to an inadequate two stations. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm very aware of this issue, and I know that he will be speaking to the Secretary of State for Transport about this. The point is this, is the Coast Guard has, I think, got to prove in this consultation that what it wants to do is to coordinate the number of uh, offices that are actually receiving calls in order to put more money and resources into the frontline service, which is actually the number of boats and rescue and helpers that there are. That is the aim of the policy, but I fully accept they've got to prove that to people in order to go ahead with the proposals that they're making. Mr Gavin Williamson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At my surgery on Saturday, a constituent explained to me that with her husband ill and a young family, 
she'd been told she'd be better off giving up her part-time job and relying on benefits. Will the Prime Minister assure this House that we will give people the incentive and the support to go into work and end the culture of welfare dependency left by the Labour? I think my honourable friend speaks about this in an absolutely correct way. The fact is, for too long we've had a welfare system that pays you not to work. That gives you an incentive not to go out and work. And universal credit, which will be introduced through the welfare bill, will mean that in every single case, no matter how few hours you are working, you will always be better off in work and working more. And I think it's absolutely right and long overdue, and I hope this issue will have support from right across the House of Commons. Mr Nigel Dodds. In a week uh, in which we have had revelations about the appalling level of health care for our pensioners, What is the Prime Minister saying to the elderly population of this country by proposing to change the inflation link for the uprating of benefits and pensions from retail price index to consumer price index, something which will cost present and future pensioners millions of pounds in lost incomes? How is that fair? How does that protect the vulnerable? The first point I'd make is that the state pension is under the triple lock, going to be linked with whichever is highest. But we are taking the step that the last government didn't for 10 years of relinking the state pension with earnings. And I think that is an absolutely vital step in giving people the dignity and security that they deserve in old age. Dr Julian Huppert. Mr Speaker, the government plans to ask this House to extend the control orders regime until it is replaced by T-PIMS. As I'm sure the Prime Minister wouldn't want the House to act without all the necessary information, can he assure all honourable members that we will have sight of the TPIMS legislation before being asked to vote on the extension? My honourable friend makes an important point, and obviously this is a very big change we are making from control orders to the new system, and I'm sure that the House will be consulted properly and proper prior sight of what's being proposed uh, will be made. But he can get involved right now if he wants to as the policy is being developed. This is Sharon Hodgson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In in 2008, your um, review into communication needs described speech therapy services as a postcode lottery. A national survey of primary SENCOs in 2010, sadly, showed that 57% had unfortunately never heard of the Burko Review and that services remain as inequitable now as they were then. In the National Year of Communication, and with the King's Speech having done so well to raise awareness of this issue, can the Prime Minister clarify whether the Government plans to meet the recommendations of your review and how it plans to do so with local authorities facing such huge cuts? Well, she, I think we'll, we'll see shortly the green paper on special education needs where we are giving priority to this area because, as I know from my own experience, often getting hold of a speech and language therapist is extremely difficult. Now, of course, like every other area, there will be constraints in terms of resources, but I think we can do better by having a less confrontational system and making sure more resources actually get to the parents who, who need it and want to do the right thing for their children. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.